I'm in your egg and everywhere like glitter With diamonds in my veins, glitter All I want is to hear from you like glitter Some girls were made to shine Kia tēnā koutou katoa. Hello and welcome back to all of you to Jewels from NZ. The glitter episodes where I ramble about topics that interest me, answer call-ins, tell you all about my crazy life. Um, these may mention life in Aotearoa, New Zealand, but are a little more jewels focused. All that glitters is gold, right? So let's hope these are too. So, kei here koutou. How are all of you? Kate Pai, I am good. Uh, continuing our Māori lessons for myself as well as you. <laughs> I wanted to talk about a few gaming things today. I know I promised you lots of information about Queenstown, and I will, but I had lots to catch up on in terms of gaming news um, and stuff that I've been up to, so I really just wanted to talk about that in this one today. Like... Finally playing in my first ever 20th level game and my first ever DMing game with maps and minis and how funny my group the Polly's Angels are and a building need to create and play in more and more and more games. Also some upcoming gaming news that's very cool. So let's start with 20th level games. I agree with Joey. Do them. Uh, building and playing Marina was a highlight of my gaming life and I've been playing for a while because I'm 37. Um, <laughs> but the huge hits, the high risks, the teamwork of us that we built up this wall of buffs and tricks that was truly epic. I mean, we put a solar inside a kimono robe that had a maze inside of it. Um, <laughs> like we did crazy things and it was awesome. I did crazy amounts of damage, like the dice that I got to roll, you know, rolling 10d6 just for the sneak attack damage, let alone the other, um, dice that I was rolling to do other bits of damage, let alone the fact that I ended on basically full HP. I mean, because I was just like, nope redirect nope my shadow self takes that one uh and it just it was just incredible you know joey talks about the game on his own podcast hindsightless and does it better than i ever could because to be honest i was so focused on what my next turn was going to be i missed a little bit of why we were there uh but i encourage you to go and listen to our antics if you haven't already he does a really cool just brief summary of what we got up to in that game it's built a keen need to play a 20th level 5e game. And if someone wants to do that with me, um, I am so there. Reach out. Let's do this. So Polly's Angels. So Polly's Angels is the group that um, you may have heard me talk about them before. Um, a little group of uh, newbies that uh, reached out to me through Facebook to ask them to teach them how to D&D. And um, because they all kind of reached out individually, uh, I put them all together in a group because it seemed easy. And um, we've been playing games for a while now. They're actually named the Polly's Angels after the first death, you may remember, 
that I've talked about in an earlier episode that I've ever had uh, and, and as a DM, uh, one of my players died. So the Polly's Angels, um, they are my fave. Uh, they took a week rest recently, uh, essentially just off a board in town to track down some cultists in the Dreadwood where, near where the Saltmarsh adventures take place. They had no idea what they were walking into when they entered a small town of wood elves that patrol the edges of the terrifying Dreadwood. Um, in basics, I was pinching pieces from a truly excellent one shot I purchased on DM's Guild a while back called Hunt for Dragonkin, um, which is written as like an Easter themed one shot about some cultists who stole dragon eggs for a ritual. But honestly, I just needed an adventure for some cultists because that's what my random table in the uh, uh, in the guide said that that they could take so uh i needed some cultists and i had that one shot and knew how it ran so um basically uh the eggs hatch they end up with wee hatchling friends right up until mum arrives that is and demands her babies or she'll destroy the town that's basically how the adventure goes um there's obviously a lot more tricks to it there's a lot more easter stuff to it they actually have easter hunts and there's some you know, randomness about chocolate eggs and, and, and definitely a lot of egg hatching stuff going on. So um, there's a lot more to the adventure. So please, like, if you're at all interested in what I've just basically said, go and buy it on DMs Guild. It's really cheap and um, it's it's a really excellently written little one-shot. Um, all the, uh, all the um, cultists and, and hatchlings and dragons and and uh the wolves slash i think they're dire wolves or winter wolves or something um i think actually they might be all three because um they're all attached at the back of the adventure which is really cool so you've got all of your everything you would need to run it right there in that pack um but what I liked the most about this one and, and what it definitely taught me a lot about what I would like mine to have as part of them is that kind of leveling table, you know, what to do if it's an easy, what to do if it's a medium, what to do if it's a hard and actually having those options between just like wolf, die wolf and winter wolf um, so that you can kind of choose um, what you want to do for yourself was really, really cool. So go check that out. Anyway, I've got well off track. I didn't realize I was going to be advertising Hunt for Dragon King when I thought about this. But anyway, anyway, my I thought I was ready for this session, right? Because I had my one shot, which I've run before and know. And I was like, haha, you think we're, you know, going by some book or something or some other thing. But I've gone off book and I'm doing my own thing. So, um yeah I thought I thought I was ready but it turns out my beloved Polly's angels had tricks for me instead starting with getting me to name a NPC who they basically dragged into the game ending up as Yarafat in my Brandon my Brandon my random brain throw up um Yarafat I started with a Y sound and ended up with a T sound and I honestly cannot tell you what happened in between. Um, they descended into giggles as one of them asked me, what did you just call me? And we completely lost the plot. Uh, and then there was a running joke on, you're a fat, no, you're a fat, 
um, for the rest of the freaking session. It's okay, because after they entered the edges of Dreadwood, rescued the eggs from random places they'd ended up, and then found the old cabin with the cultists inside, that's when I flipped the tables back on them. I pulled out a map and minis, and they got so excited, like seeing their wee faces. Um, I had to crush their little table setups, because you know when players sit down and they're starting to get into the hang of this, they spread out their dice perfectly, and you know, the pencil goes there, and the little sharpener goes there and everything's kind of all spread out and stuff I had to basically upend that whole thing but I'm pretty sure they thought it was worth it <laughs> so good um I was trying to hide it I wanted it to be a surprise and I'd put um table mats all over the map so I needed to like pull off the table mats to remove uh, anyway it was a whole thing um and I was using hero's quest board which was pretty fun too so um, I ended up having the table mats kind of only highlighting the bit of the Hero's Quest board that I wanted to work with because it was only a cabin, so they don't get the whole board. So, But that was really fun um, to do. Um, and it was kind of awesome to see like the strategy they developed working around a Hero's Quest tables to get to the cultists and rescue this wee hatchling that was being held hostage in there. You know, with some epic shots of uh, two players not wanting to go through the door and just kind of firing through the door, taking turns to do that. That was hilarious. Um, and the teamwork they used on actually doing um, flanking and all sorts of stuff like that. They they took them all down. And then they immediately fell in love with their tiny hatchling dragons, uh, which may be a problem. Um, but I learned a lot about rules that I don't normally worry very much about, like opportunity attacks, moving while engaged, and disengaging. Like, I knew about these subjectively, and I even play them a lot in games, but with theater of the mind, they're never very important, because unless you're really playing hardcore stickler to the rules, you know, how far away from you by theater of the mind, you don't really. You just kind of go, I engage with them, I move this way, I I disengage if I have to move further than that. You know, like, you kind of just kind of get a bit broad and, and that about it. And maybe that does mean that you miss some of those more tactical elements. Um, but I, I still think they slow down the game a lot um, using a map like that because, you know, there was a lot of debate about exactly where to put their piece before they even decided what spell or weapon they might be using and... Ugh, you know um but it was a really fun and interesting experiment that we've actually decided as a group that they'd like to do more of so being the good dm that i am and a little overruled i mean i knew that if i bought up maps and minis they would fall in love Ugh, who wouldn't um they're all talking about buying their own minis and stuff so i did that so i guess i've got some shopping to do before the next session and a dragon to buy for instance which may turn out to be a difficult emotional session next time when mum turns up to collect her babies threatening to burn down the home of their now favourite NPC, Yarrafat. <laughs> I'm so mean. Um, they got me good though. Before we even started the session, they had all secretly signed a card and arranged a present. And I was presented with this after we'd all finished our pre-game fish and chips. The card was the sweetest thing. Speaking of their appreciation for teaching them the game and making them love it even more than they thought they would. And when I opened the gift, I found my very own monster manual. And I nearly cried. 
My ability to create homebrew games has increased tenfold and my gratitude back at my amazing players is through the roof. You know, I'm such a lucky girl. I bought myself a player's handbook years ago and was gifted a DM manual by Joey from Hindsight List because he thought that I deserved a manual, you know, a, a DMG because he believed in, you know, my ability to be a DM. Um, I still read that on the regular for inspiration and continued learning. And now I've been gifted a monster manual. DM Basics is complete. And I couldn't be more excited to own these books. And I have a signed Lee Child, you know. <laughs> Honestly, these are my favorite books I've ever owned. So I just feel ugh, gross, but like hashtag blessed, you know. <laughs> gross. Anyway, to wipe the taste of that out of my mouth, I think we should go to some call-ins. Jules Gems. G'day, Jules. Glenn here from Perth. Uh, just love the uh, LNP episode. Uh, we um, get LNP in our local IGA, also the uh, LNP Whitaker's chocolate bars, which are mighty fine. Uh, a few years back, I lived across the road from a Kiwi fish and chip shop here in sunny Perth, and uh, they had uh, mutton birds and sea urchins on the menu, and you can keep those on your side of the creek. Thank you very much for the awesome work. Uh, talk to you later. Cheers. Kiora Jules, Spencer here, LNP. Absolutely love it. Um, I think it's the fact that it's just not as sweet as a lot of other soft drinks. I don't generally drink soft drinks, but I do like a bit of LNP. You can get it in Scotland from those specialist sweet shops that import foreign candy, and you can, you know, you can get it, but you have to pay through the nose for it. I'm also fortunate that I live in, I think, the only country where the top-selling soft drink isn't Coca-Cola. That award goes to Iron Brew, and they also produce some of the funniest adverts I've ever seen. Check those out on YouTube. Um, but I probably wouldn't listen to me, because I'm one of the only people in the UK that likes drinking root beer, something that smells like you probably should be rubbing it into a sprained ankle. So that was Glenn and Spencer having a chat about my LMP episode. Um, glad you both enjoyed that. Interesting to hear your experiences about LMP and other things. Um, Glenn, as for mutton bird and sea urchins, frankly, I don't think even most Kiwis would own them. <laughs> um, and Spencer, I have totally drunk some own brew while I was in Glasgow a few years back. I did not enjoy it, and frankly think you Scots are bonkers for liking it. <laughs> but you're loyal to it, that's for sure. And I actually like root beer too, or what passes for it over here in New Zealand, so maybe I'm a bit weird too. Hmm. Um, so next up is some feedback from uh, Josh and Barry about uh, the episode where I asked for everybody's help on my madness or sanity mechanic and told you about the one shot. So maybe, Joey, just skip ahead a little bit here. Hi, Jules. Barry here from Shadow of the Podcast. I listened to your episode where you were talking about the sanity mechanic. Um, just a quick note to say I do like the sound of it. Um, the thing I was going to comment on it is I don't know what Jason said. Jason probably got into a lot more technicality than I have. <laughs> the main thing was to say that if you want sanity made more often, rather than have it kick in the sort of 
you know, insanity effect when you get to like the sort of zero or minus levels. Is it worth considering um, if you want to do it where after they've dropped a certain amount of sanity, like maybe a certain percentage, like 25% of the starting score or just like five points in general, they start getting the temporary insanities then? Maybe it's worth speeding up the kind of the fun, for lack of a better word on it. So just that kind of quick thought. Uh, I mean, that's kind of how, if I remember, Call of Cthulhu does it, although it's percentage based. It tends to come that the temporary insanity is coming at that point, and when you hit zero, you're just totally insane. Anyway, just my thoughts. I'll speak to you later. Hey, Josh Beckelheimer here. So, um, I was thinking of something that you could do in your game, since you want to have mystery involved, where your players aren't catching on to the bard immediately, is describe so much crap. I mean, not like in great detail but mention a lot of stuff when they walk into rooms or whatever, things that they normally wouldn't hear, because then they'll start focusing on that stuff. You know, like, say if the fish had an odd smell hanging, you know, over the the bar at the tavern, they're going to, no, you know, notice that and, like, probably latch onto that at first. Like, maybe it's the food is making people go crazy. So they'll, you know, avoid your big bad enemy. Hey, Jules, Jason here. Caught about your sanity question. So, I might have misunderstood. I guess I should go back and listen again before I call you, but I didn't because I'm lazy. I'm sure, and I know this is a dumb question. I'm sure you're going to have good reasons they're going to do sanity checks during the game, during the one shot, right? You're not just going to be like, whatever perception thing they have in 5e. I don't play 5e. I, I'm assuming it's not like an active perception check or act, you're not just going to walk in a room and say, oh, do sanity check. Or, you know, you, you're going to actually, you know, oh, you see this horrible mangled corpse in the ground. Take a sanity check. That kind of thing, right? You, I, I'm assuming that's the case. So, yeah, eight sanity checks or, you know, average go insane. It's a lot of sanity checks, which isn't a bad thing. It's a lot of work on you to come up with those terrific things for them to see. So understanding that we have all these needs for, you know, we have to provide them a horrible reason to have a sanity check. You know, you've got that work there. So now let's look at your system. Uh, if if you really wanted to mesh with the rest of your game and want it to be a rollover system, it's easy enough to flip that. You know, and, I, and I'm sure you've already thought of how to do that. But, you know, basically... As they lose sanity, the score gets higher and higher and higher, and they're trying to, you know, you're rolling high. It's easy enough just to flip your table around if you want to roll high. Um, my big concern, I totally agree with why you're not using the, the rules as you describe them in the book. This is a one-shot, right? But that makes me wonder about this. And again, I don't have the background with the system to really give a lot of comment on that. But I know I'm up to a minute, so I have to leave another message. So, I I think the disadvantage thing when they first hit it makes sense. Um, my concern with a one shot and the one I'm doing a one shot in a different system that I thought I've been thinking about whether I want to tack a sanity system on or not. And my concern is I don't want to make it unfun. You, you know what I mean? Like you know, so and I don't know what the madnesses are like. So in in D and D in five E, so I, I I can't really comment on that, but I definitely wouldn't want to plug in something that would make it unfun, you know. 
if like like you were talking about, you know, oh, the character can't speak for, and it, that might be funny at the table because they have to mime or, or act out their actions or whatever, and that might be funny at a con game. I could see that just for a little bit, but it, I'd almost be limited like for a couple minutes and like use a real clock if I did something like that. I think. Um, but now at that point, we're getting into more of a, a physical game and a comedy game to some degree, right? So, what are the other things you mentioned? Like amnesia or, you know, I, I don't know. Or the character goes unconscious or the character disengages or... I, I mean, is that going to be fun to play at a one-shot? I don't know. And like I said, I don't know what the mana stuff is. You know, all of a sudden you're... Now, if it, you tie it in with the horror, right... So they find a corpse that's, you know, got insects on it, and now all of a sudden they're deadly afraid of insects. That can be played up, and, and the right player can definitely run with that and have fun with it. Although you, at that point, you and the GM need to be able to improv to throw a lot more insects in the rest of the game, right? But I, I don't know. Um, I, I'd have to, I'm going to have to look at the 5e DMG one way or another and figure out this madness thing and to give you better comments. So I might have to call you back later tonight. Um, I definitely don't want to steer you the wrong way. But I think, ultimately, it needs to be a fun game. And with the idea of it being a fun game and a one-shot, my knee-jerk reaction would be, if you fail sanity check, now you have disadvantage for X amount of time, right? Maybe real. Maybe you get an hourglass, you know, a sand, gla- sand hourglass. For until the, until the sand runs out, you have disadvantage. And then if they get another horror check during that time, then they have double disadvantage. And yeah, I know there's no, probably no such thing as double disadvantage. But seriously, you, you, you want to be screwed, roll three dice, right? And but now you wouldn't go any further than that. And you you wouldn't you'd only do that if they're already horrified or something. But it's a con, it's a one shot, you know, and, and you want to really push it. But but I think I would stick to something just like that. Because I don't know. Unless maybe like say if you do the insect thing, you're deadly afraid of snakes, there's gonna be a lot of snakes. But they're deadly afraid of the color yellow, and they'll see the color yellow. But I, I would veer toward I would veer towards something really simple. Anyway, I hope that helps. Keep it simple. Maybe just stick to disadvantage or double disadvantage. I don't know, or really, really simple phobia kind of things. Um, but ultimately, the sanity checks all they're doing is giving mechanical changes to the characters, right? So to really have a sense of dread. Or really, they have that unease, or the characters look back, or the, the players look back and say, "Wow, that session really put me on edge, and that was really creepy, or whatever." Nothing you do mechanically will ever do any of that. That is all going to be from your descriptions and your vocals as a GM and your narrative. And the, I've never played a game where the mechanics scared me. I have been in games where I've been unsettled because of the way the GM ran it. You, you know, they've kind of unsettled me. And that's what I think you want to strive for is more of that part of it and maybe not worry so much about the mechanics. But I might be wrong. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some good thoughts to explore there. So that was Josh Beckelheimer from JB Publishing and um, Barry from um, Shadow of a GM podcast. So definitely go check out theirs. They're, they've got some great thoughts on both of theirs. So, uh, yeah. Oh, and... Um, I forgot that I put Jason's in here too. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> Jason. <laughs> oh, God. Now I'm going to snuff up his name. After joking with Joey that nobody gets his name wrong anymore, it's uh, 
the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I think I got that right. Oh, God. I'm not even going to look. I'm just going to go with it. Um, so, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's some really good points. What was I saying? Some good points to explore here. Yeah, okay. So the point about when it activates, for instance... I'm growing aware that I don't want them to be rolling a million times in the one shot for just that when there are other things that, you know, they're going to be running around to town investigating murders and stuff. So, you know, I I I need to tighten the numbers a little bit more so that things happen easier. Otherwise, I may find myself running a game where we rolled a lot, but nothing really happened. And that would annoy me. Um, Upon reflection, I really only want about five things they were an encounter before meeting the big bad who actually uses sanity and madnesses as part of its attacks and stuff. So the more insane they are by the time they get to that point or the more points they've lost or whatever, um, or gained, um, crap, I can't even remember my own mechanic. Anyway, but basically the more insane they are, the harder it is to beat him and that's why they use it running up to it. Um... In terms of like what the madnesses are, because I realize not all of you have a DMG. Um, so I'm just going to read out the madness tables for you so that you just kind of have this information. So, okay, so short-term madnesses. The whole point is you're supposed to roll on a D100 as to which madness you get. So uh, 1 to 20 is the character retreats into his or her mind and becomes paralyzed. And the effect ends if the character takes any damage. Uh, 21 to 30, the character becomes incapacitated and spends the duration screaming, laughing, or weeping. I'd leave that up to the player, obviously. 31 to 40, the character becomes frightened and must use his or her action and movement each round to flee from the source of the fear. Um, which becomes easy if it's like a weird thing that a corpse did or whatever because they just can't see the corpse anymore so um 41 to 50 the character begins babbling and is incapable of normal speech or spell casting could be tricky but you know uh 51 to 60 the character must use his or her action each round to attack the nearest creature uh, 61 to 70 the character experiences vivid hallucinations and has disadvantage on ability checks uh, 71 to 75 the character does whatever anyone tells them um, to do that isn't obviously self-destructive. Um, 76 to 80, the character experiences an overwhelming urge to eat something strange, such as dirt or slime or offal. Um, 81 to 90, the character is stunned. And 91 to 100, the character falls unconscious. Um, and obviously, all of those are only for kind of a shorter time than what, like, short-term madness would be, obviously, because they would have it lasting 1d10 minutes, and that's no fun. So, um, okay, so long-term madness. Normally, in the DMG, the effect would last 1d10 times 10 hours. Um, I'm not going to do that. Again, no point. The game's not that long. So um, if you want to hear the times and stuff of what I've done, go back to the last episode. I'm not going to do it again. Um, But again, on the D100, what do we got this time on long-term madness? It's a bit more kind of um, things that you can kind of play with here rather than things that are almost an immediate reaction Um, because they are supposed to be a bit more long-term. It's it's not quite so, I don't know, like going to affect combat, for instance. Um, So 1 to 10. 
the character feels compelled to repeat a specific activity over and over, such as washing hands, touching things, praying, or counting coins. And obviously, yes, they would be required to do that, but, like, not at the expense of being able to draw a sword and attack, you know? Um, 11 and 20, the character experiences vivid hallucinations and has disadvantage on ability checks. Uh, 21 to 30 the character suffers extreme paranoia the character has disadvantage on wisdom and charisma checks 31 to 40 the character regards something usually the source of the madness with intense revulsion as if affected by the antipathy effect of the antipathy or sympathy spell Um, 41 to 45 the character experiences a powerful delusion choose a potion and the character imagines that he or she is under those effects um 46 to 55 the character becomes attached to a lucky charm such as a person or an object and has disadvantage on attack rolls ability checks and saving throws while more than 30 foot from it 56 to 65 the character is blinded 25 percent or deafened 75 percent uh, 66 to 75, the character experiences uncontrollable tremors or ticks, which impose disadvantage on attack rolls, ability checks, and saving throws that involve strength or dexterity. Six, uh, 76 to 85, the character suffers from partial amnesia. Character knows who she or he is and retains racial traits and class features, but doesn't recognize other people or remember anything that happened before the madness took effect. 86, 90, Whenever the character takes damage, he or she must succeed on a DC 15 wisdom saving throw or be affected as though he or she failed a saving throw against the confusion spell. And the confusion effect lasts for a minute. 91 to 95, the character loses the ability to speak. 96 to 100, character falls unconscious and no amount of jostling or damage can wake them. So that's um, short-term and long-term tables i can't i definitely left out the indefinite madness table because i just kind of thought it wasn't fun to have a hangover um for one shots for a character that would be used again like it's not even it's not even relevant like everybody picks up these characters as fresh um with no hangovers because the idea is that anybody could play them at any level so you know um I guess as to why I'm adding madness in at all, the plan here is to end up with a one shot for every level one to 20 that each one has a different feel or a theme or a mission or a mechanic that guides it. So each game is like, you know, like a chocolate in one of those trays for sale, you know, a flavor for everyone. I'm aware sanity or madness might be not everyone's cup of tea, but I feel like I should explore it at least once and, I agree it does need to be a fun game and I guess I would preface the game with like a kind of cover about how madness should be treated as a silly thing that happens and will be over not too long so they won't be out of the game but how it's an opportunity to play it up for a laugh if they want to or just go along with suggestions if not you know I guess I won't know until I test run it you know um anyway thanks Um, Folks, for your thoughts and feedback, I really appreciated you taking the time out of your day to think about this wee side project as much as you did. Thank you. Um, I called into Goblin Hensman's after powering through the catalogue, as I have a tendency to do, and got some responses I wanted to share with you all. Hi, Jules. Thanks very much for your messages. Um, I'm glad you're sort of working your way through the backlog catalogue of my stuff. Um, They're all pretty short, so that's probably a bonus. 
at least I think that's a good thing. Um, yeah, as for DMGM, yeah, I kind of, I've definitely softened my view on that. Um, uh, I had another message about it as well, but I kind of started to think that actually the problem with calling the DM or GM a player is it kind of in most play in the games we have players that are against each other and might imply the DM is trying to win rather than like be the sort of hosting, you know, arbiter. So maybe, maybe it's not such a good thing. I mean, I'm pretty old fashioned anyway, so I say DM. Um, as for spreadsheets, yeah, I've got lots of spreadsheet kind of game resources on my blog, so check it out, see what you think. Um, and for Patreons, um, yeah, so not telling anyone what to do, it's just kind of my, my take on it. And really, it really sounds great that you've got that sort of set up, especially with the one, one dollar tier. I think that for me is a sort of, hi Jules, I just got cut off at the end there. It's Goblin's, Hen Goblin's Henchman back here. So, um, yeah, I, I was just saying that I think it's great. You've got that sort of entry level one dollar tier. I think that's kind of what I, I like to see. I think it just means that it feels a bit more inclusive. So um, again, I'm not not trying to tell him what to do. It's just, just you know, we all we all have rationales and choices for what we do, um, and um, that's just the way I think about it. And certainly not in a way that I say thinking that um, it's anyone able to do. And I, I know you recognise that, but uh, I think just because I had to do an extra message, I'm probably talking about this little section a bit too much. <laughs> all right, take care. Bye. Really appreciate you calling back with those responses. Always lovely to hear from people who enjoy a healthy, respectful debate and chat. Because I absolutely think that people can disagree and still hold each other in the highest regard. The world would be a boring place if everybody thought the same way after all. Being challenged has helped me grow enormously, even if it is to solidify my position on something or flip my position completely on its head. Ask Joey. He's butted heads with me a multitude of times and has managed to, despite my various tantrums at the fact that he will not agree with me, um, become one of my closest friends because of the steady way he explains things and accepts that we don't always agree but that that doesn't change our friendship. I need more people like that in my life to push my thoughts and push myself. In fact, in news about pushing myself, the online convention I did was so pleased with our work that I have been invited back uh, for Labor Weekend, which is in October. Um, it's going to be in person. It's going to be three days. And this time I'm going to be paid. Look at that. All that work and support from friends really got us moving in the direction that I was hoping for. So I'm just pleased as punch about that. Um, I could not be happier. So uh, expect me to be... Um, punching away and talking up about WellyCon when it comes around. Very, very excited about that. Okay, and now we're at the end. It's been a long one, so thanks for sticking with me on this. I want to say a personal, I want to say, apparently, I want to say a personal thanks to my gems. Shell, Lucas, Glenn, James, Scott, Jason, and Barry, I could not do this without you, so I really appreciate your support. I really appreciate also everybody who is listening right now um, and adding to the numbers, which I pretend not to check, but I totally check. So thank you <laughs> very much for lending your ears to my silliness and just being here on my journey as I learn things about myself and RPG and New Zealand and everything. I don't know what brought you here, but I appreciate you being here. So thank you. Um, next week's episode is actually about 
not Queenstown. I know Queenstown is coming, but there's something really exciting coming up when I looked at the calendar and I realized I need to talk about Matariki. Matariki is the Māori New Year, which is typically marked by the rise of the Matariki star cluster and the sighting of the next new moon. The period of celebration is the 13th to 20th of July with those dates coming up. I have lots of exciting Māori culture and stories to tell you, so bear with me. The next episode's definitely going to be all about that. If you're enjoying listening to Jules from NZ, please give the show a review on your platform of choice. It really all helps, and I have noticed that Podcast Addict has added a review, uh, which is nice. Um, You can find me on Instagram and Twitter and YouTube and Facebook, and it's all under J-U-L-Z B-U-R-G-I-S-S-E-R. So come find me there. Um, I would love to see you on any of those medias. Inohora, ka kite And keep on smiling, even though the world seems dark and grim, because good things happen. Mwah. Love you.